0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, thank you, George. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter three in the New Testament, and while you're turning, let me just say how thankful I am to my brothers for filling in on the pulpit. Uh, I love hearing my brothers preach. I need to be discipled. I need to be under their teaching, and it just gives me some rest. So it's just a huge blessing. All right, Hebrews three. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews, and let me just give you a reminder: the the theme of Hebrews, and we see this over and over again, is that real faith. Saving faith in Jesus is a persevering faith. So we're encouraged to hold fast to Jesus no matter what. And the author begins the book by saying that we must remain faithful to Jesus Christ because Jesus is greater than anything else. He's first compared to the prophets and then to the angels. And then in chapter 3, we see that he is compared to Moses. And the writer keeps on saying that Jesus is greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, and greater than Moses. And the reason Jesus is, is better than anything else is because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is fully God. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 1, that he, he's the creator God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Jesus is not only God, he's truly man. And we see that. He's a real human being. We see that in Hebrews 2, that the Son of God had to become human. He had to be made like us, like his brothers in every respect. And he had to become human because he had to die in the place of his people. He had to become human to die, to live, to live the life that we couldn't live, and then to die as a substitute in our place. So Jesus is greater than the angels, greater than Moses. And in the beginning of Hebrews 3, the the author is saying that, that Moses was a faithful servant. He was faithful as a servant, but Jesus is better because he's the son. So Jesus is better. And God used Moses, you remember, to bring the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. So that was awesome. But Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is the one who brings us out of the worst kind of slavery. Slavery to sin and slavery to death. So Because Jesus has conquered sin and he's conquered death. So as I said, the main theme of Hebrews is that genuine faith in Christ is a faith that lasts until the end. Real faith in Jesus is a, is a faith that lasts all the way till the end of a person's life. If a person falls away permanently, I'm gonna stress that in the sermon, permanently, and they fall away from the church and they never return, then that shows that that person didn't have genuine faith. So the author of Hebrews is writing here to Jewish Christians, they've come out of Judaism, they've come out of the temple sacrifices and all that, they've put their faith in Christ, but now they're being tempted to go back. They're being tempted to turn their back on Christ, and, and the author is saying, you better not turn your back on Jesus, because if you do, you turn your back on God. And if you do that, you will not enter into his salvation. He calls it rest. We'll see that in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. So we pick up in Hebrews 3, 7, as I said, the first six verses are we're talking about as Moses being a good example and now in Hebrews 7, the writer to the Hebrews is transitioning. He say Moses is a good example, now let me give you a bad example, the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. They were grumbling, complaining, they were not believing God. So this passage today is a tough passage. I'm going to give you a warning up front. This sermon is a tough passage. It's a warning passage, and I think this is probably one of the reasons why a lot of pastors don't preach on Hebrews, because the book is just filled with stern warnings, and a lot of preachers, including myself, don't really like preaching about these tough warnings. But if we're going to be faithful to the Word of God, we need to, to deal with it and think about it. All right, so let's read Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 19, and then we'll, we'll walk through the, the passage verse by verse. All right, Hebrews 3, verses 7, and we'll go to 19. Says therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers, your ancestors, put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, God is speaking. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and said they always go astray in their heart; they have not known My ways. As I swore in My wrath, they shall not enter My rest. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. All right, this is God's word. All right, let's walk through the passage. We're going to go through verse by verse. I'm going to try to explain the verses and then we'll try to have some application at the end. And I think what I'm going to do is next week, I think I'm going to take an entire sermon to look at verse 13. I'll touch on it today, but verse 13 is just, it has just been blowing me away. I've been thinking about it for over a month now. So I want to spend an entire sermon on verse 13. All right, let's look at verses seven and eight. It says, therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here the author begins quoting from Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 is interesting because it's talking about Israel being in the wilderness, In their wilderness wanderings. The people of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt and God performed lots of miracles and he brought them out of that slavery. Lots of, if you've read the book of Exodus, you know the ten plagues that were brought down on Egypt. Uh, And they were led out, God led the people out under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. So God took the Jewish people out of Egypt. At this time, this was the most powerful nation on earth. So God took the people of of Israel out of Egypt. He brought them out of that slavery and God led them through the Red Sea. So if you know the story, the people of Israel standing there, they have the Red Sea in front of them. They have Pharaoh's armies coming at them from behind. They're trapped. Moses puts his staff in the water. The water rises up. It parts. There's walls of water stacked up like walls on both sides. It'd be like the walls in here stacked up with just water. And they walk through that. They go through it. They go to the other side. Pharaoh's armies follow him. God brings the water down and drowns these armies. God does a mighty work. But immediately after the people cross the Red Sea, they start grumbling. They start complaining. They're in the wilderness. God is doing these miracles. But they start complaining because their hearts were hardened. And God was not pleased. Because a hard heart is a heart of unbelief. That's what you'll see in this passage. Now look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. One thing that's awesome about this in verse 7 is we see the writer's understanding of the Bible. Okay? He is, he's quoting Psalm 95. Psalm 95 was written hundreds of years before the writer of the Hebrews is writing this letter. He's quoting Psalm 95, written centuries before. Yet he doesn't say, he doesn't say, as David wrote. That would be fine to say that, but that's not what he says. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. That is so important. Because what we see is that the New Testament writers, this first century Christians, they understood that the Bible, at the Bible, at their time, the Bible was the Old Testament. The New Testament was being compiled. But what they understood is that when they're reading the Bible, they're reading God's word. They're saying that this is the Holy Spirit's word. Now, this is significant because if we are going to follow in their footsteps, if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to believe the same thing. We need to be people who are convinced that when we read the Bible, God is speaking to us. That's why it says, therefore the Holy Spirit says. So these are the very words of God. In the Bible, God reveals to us who he is. He reveals his plans for us. He speaks to us and makes promises to us. He tells us how we can be in a relationship with him. So it says in verse 7 as the Holy Spirit says, these are God's words to you. These words are your life because God is speaking to you. Also, notice this verse 7 reads, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, as the Holy Spirit says, or it could, it could be this, as the Holy Spirit is saying. It doesn't say as the Holy Spirit said, past tense, it's present tense. The writer understood, the early church understood, and all Christians should understand that when we read the Bible, God is speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now. In fact, the first word quoted from Psalm 95 is today. In fact, you'll see the word today throughout this passage. So verse seven is saying, the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now, today. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. In other words, this is what's happening. When you read the Bible, God is sovereign over that. God is sovereign over you reading the Bible. When you open up the Bible and when you read the words, you may not think about it this way, but when you're reading those words, you're, you start thinking about what is being said. Do you know what's happening right then? What is happening is, you may not realize it, but God is speaking to you in that moment. He's talking to you. We should understand that when we open up the Bible, God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to us personally. In that moment, he's talking to us through his word our corporate reading this morning was from Psalm 1, which talks about the blessed person. The happy person is the one whose delight is in the word of the Lord, the word of God. It says the law of the Lord, but that's talking about the word. So the one who thinks about God's word, who meditates on God's word, who realizes that God is speaking to us when we read the Bible, that's the blessed one. That's the happy one. So I'll just ask as a, as a point of, of application Question, do you regularly open up God's word and hear him speak to you? Do you think about how he's talking to you? Do you meditate on his word and pray to understand it? We need to be people who ask, what is God telling me today? What part of my life do I need to change? What part of my thinking do I need to change? That's what we see just in that little opening passage there. All right, let's continue reading Hebrews 3, 7 to 11. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So although the people of Israel saw God's works. They saw his miracles. They saw all the things that he was doing. God provided, when they got out in the wilderness, God provided bread for him every morning, manna, miraculously. He, he, they heard the voice of God. God gave them the 10 commandments. All these things were happening. They saw all the works of God and yet they put God to the test. They had hard hearts. They rebelled. They said, we're done with Moses. We want to go back to Egypt. They grumbled and complained against God. And God says in verse 10, he says, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. God does not want us to go astray in our hearts. He doesn't want us to have hard hearts. Notice how many times the word heart is used in that section we've been reading. You might want to underline the word heart. Verse eight says, do not harden your hearts. Verse 10, they always go astray in their heart. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Verse 15, again, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we're given this warning about hearts. In the Bible, this has helped me to understand this. In the Bible, the heart, we think of the heart as like, like where just emotions are. But in the, in the Bible, the heart is really the inner core of who you are. It's what you not only love, it's not only your affections, but it's the real you. It, it's, it's what you think about, it's what you treasure, it's who you are down deep inside. So a hard heart is a calloused heart, a heart that's indifferent to the things of God. A hard heart that re- is one that really doesn't care about God or his word. Do you have a hard heart? Do you go astray in your heart, away from God, or do you know his ways? Do you want to live for him? Do you want to please him? A person that wants to live for Christ is a person with a heart of faith who knows the ways of God. And the way you know God's ways is by knowing Jesus Christ. That's what he says back actually in verse 1. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. In other words, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Live for him. That's how we know God's ways. That's a heart of faith. But if a person has a hard heart, their heart is going astray away from God, they don't know God's ways. And God says in verse 11, to me, this is one of the most frightening verses in scripture. He says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God swears they shall not enter my rest. In chapters 3 and 4, the word rest has multiple meanings. We'll look at this in weeks to come. The earthly picture of rest is the land of Canaan that the people of God were supposed to go into. But that generation didn't go into that rest, into the land of Canaan. I think it was just Joshua and Caleb out of the whole crew went in there, not even Moses. So that's a picture of an earthly picture of rest, the land of Canaan. But ultimately, God's rest is heaven itself. It's ultimate rest. It's heaven, it's, it's being with Christ in the resurrection, life to come on the new earth. That's the ultimate rest. We'll talk more about rest in a future sermon. But what God is saying in verse 11, he's saying, if you have an unbelieving heart, a hard heart, then God is taking an oath and he's swearing, he's promising. He's saying, if you continue in your hard-hearted ways, you will not join me in heaven. You will not enter my rest. That's what God is promising. And in verse 12, the writer applies these truths to us. He's been talking about Israel in the wilderness. Now he applies these truths to us. He's a good preacher. Verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. There it is again, a warning about the heart. And he says, Be careful. Watch yourself, watch out, examine yourself. He's saying, make sure that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. Because if you have an evil, unbelieving heart, if you continue in that, then you will fall away from the living God. Now, notice this too. The writer of Hebrews is talking to folks in the church. This is like a sermon to the church. He's not on the street corner. He's talking to people in the church and he's assuming that most of them are genuine believers. You can see that in a number of places. That's why back in, in Hebrews 3, 1, he calls them holy brothers. He says, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling. He addresses them as believers. He does the same thing right here in verse 12. He says, take care, brothers. So he assumes, he's talking to the church, he assumes that most of them have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. They're brothers. They're part of God's family. As I told Jaden, he's a brother now. He's part of, part of the family. But the writer also realizes that among this group of believers, and this is the way it is with every congregation, among this group of believers, he realizes there are going to be people who do not have genuine faith. He doesn't know their hearts. It's like I can't know everyone's heart, you can't know everyone's heart. And outwardly, there are people who appear to be genuine followers of Christ, but they're not. He realizes, the writer realizes he's speaking to a mixed group. Wheat and tares, right? Within the visible church, and we see this in scripture, within the visible church, what we see, there are born again people who love Jesus and there are those who do not have real faith in Christ. They don't have spiritual life. And by the way, just as an aside, to obtain spiritual life, you can't work it up within yourself. You can't create spiritual life within yourself. As Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. You can't give yourself spiritual life. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual life. And Jesus says also, you must be born again. You must be born again. And the only way that you can have spiritual life is through the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can take a dead heart and make that heart alive to God, make that heart responsive to God. That's, that's, how you have genuine spiritual life. But as I said, in the church, in the church, it's a mixed crowd within the visible church. And the writer of Hebrews realizes that. And he says, he's given this warning. He says, if a person falls away from Christ visibly and they don't return, then you know that that person did not have spiritual life to begin with. You know that person did not have a real faith in Christ. Now listen, people can fall away for a season because sin is very powerful. People can fall away. Sin is so deceiving, and sometimes people will be deceived and fall away for a time. But if they're true followers of Jesus, they won't fall away forever. If they have real faith in Christ, they will keep their faith to the end. But the writer has given us this warning, this very scary warning, because it's a mixed crowd. And he says, take care, be careful, watch yourself, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice this too, just real quick. He's a living God. He's not a dead God. He's alive. He's a true and living God. He's moving and working always. We may not have eyes to see it, but God is always moving and working. He is alive. All right, verse 13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." How do you keep from having a hard heart? One way is through the encouragement, through the exhortation of our fellow Christians. That's what it says right here. Exhort one another every day. He's talking to the church. One of the ways we can retain a tender heart of faith is through our fellow Christians. We can continue, help each other to continue to live for God and be faithful to Christ by exhorting one another, by encouraging one another, by being with one another, by worshiping the Lord with one another. This is how, this is one of the ways that we keep our heart from becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God uses one another. He wants to use you to encourage and exhort one another to keep pressing on in faith. All right, verse 14. says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. This is another one of these warnings. We have come to share in Christ. We're in union with him spiritually. So it says, For we have come to share in Christ, Christ. And then it gives this qualifying statement. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Once again, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, if you hold your confidence in Christ firm to the end, all the way to the end of your life, that's a sign that you've truly come to share in Christ. That's a sign of true saving Faith. And as I said, we see this over and over again in, in Hebrews. Now we come to Hebrews 15 to 19. In these verses, the writer goes back to Psalm 95 and he applies it to us again. So this is, this is uh, Hebrews 3, 15 to 19. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He keeps giving us this warning. Do, do you hear God's voice speaking to you now? If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's what he's saying. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He's saying all these people were under the leadership of Moses. They were in the presence of God. They saw his mighty works. They were with true believers, such as Moses, Joshua, Caleb. But the fact that they were with Moses and Joshua and Caleb, the fact that they were with this group doesn't mean they had hearts of faith. They still did not believe God. They didn't trust him. And so God made a promise. He swore that they would not enter his rest. Now, I don't think that everyone who died in that generation was unsaved. I don't think that's the case. But God is giving us a picture, and he's saying they were unable to enter the rest of Canaan. And this is a picture, it's an earthly warning about what happens if you reject God with an unbelieving heart. You won't enter his heavenly rest. And I would just ask, can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Can you imagine how terrifying it would be to have God say to you, Because of your unbelieving heart, because of your evil, unbelieving heart, God is saying, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to make a promise to you. You're not going to enter my heavenly rest. And God keeps his promises. Can you imagine God making that promise to you? The horror of hearing that, God swearing in his wrath. Now, some people will hear that and they laugh. They think that's funny. They think it's cute. You know what that shows? They have an evil, unbelieving heart. (laughs) They think, oh, that's a cute though. These religious people are funny. That's an evil, unbelieving heart. And God is swearing, if you continue in that, you won't enter his rest. Now, what we're seeing here is the author to the Hebrews, he's a preacher. He's concerned about the souls of these people. And there's an urgency in his message. Notice how many times he says today, as long as it is called today. God is saying, don't put this off. Settle this, settle it today. Today. The Holy Spirit is saying to us today, right now, examine yourself. Honestly, is your heart unbelieving? Have you hardened your heart or do you have a tender heart toward God? Is your heart tender and responsive to God and his word? Do you want to please him? Do you want to live for him? If not, if honestly, if you examine yourself and honestly, you don't care about Christ and his word. You're not living for him. You're not repenting of your sin. You're not trusting in Christ You've got a hardened heart. You've got an evil, unbelieving heart. And as I said, God is swearing to you that if that doesn't change, you're not going to enter his heavenly rest. God is making a promise and this is terrifying. God is promising you that if you don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ and that doesn't change, he's saying, I'm making a promise that you will not enter into my heavenly rest. It is absolutely terrifying. Now I've said this before, I'm gonna close with this. The hardest part about preaching is knowing, like the author of Hebrews says, that I have a mixed group, that, that within, even within a small church, I'm sure there are people all across the spectrum in their faith. On the one hand, and this is the real hard part for me preaching about this, on the one hand, there are people who have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. They don't have hard hearts. They don't have evil, unbelieving hearts. They want to please the Lord, but they may have doubts Their faith may be weak. And when I'm preaching a sermon like this from Hebrews with these warnings, some of those people are terrified. And they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. So for those folks, they have real faith. It's a weak faith, but it's real. And they need to have confidence and joy in the Lord. They need to rejoice in the Lord, have confidence in his word. But as I said, when they hear a sermon like this, they can have a tendency to doubt their salvation. And the last thing I want to do Is for those folks who have genuine faith in Jesus is to make them doubt their salvation. I do not want to do that. So that's one end of the spectrum. Now here's the hard part about preaching. On the other end of the spectrum, we got all these people in between. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got people with hard hearts. They've got hard, evil, unbelieving hearts. They have no sensitivity to the voice of God. They don't have a genuine faith in Jesus. And yet... This is a really scary part because they're part of a church or they're in a family with Christians or whatever. They walked an aisle, signed a card, made a decision, went through confirmation, whatever. They think that they're saved. They did something. They did some human thing. But right now, their lives give no evidence that their faith is real. They have a hard heart. There's no evidence that their faith is real. And they think they're saved, but they're not. And that's the problem, because for those people, the last thing I want to do for them is give them assurance of salvation. I don't want to do that, because as we see here, if that person is not submitting to Christ, that person has an unbelieving heart, then God promises that they will not enter into his rest. So the last thing I want to tell that person is, yeah, you're fine, you're good, you're saved. I I don't want to give assurance to that person. For those folks For those folks, I want the Holy Spirit to break that stony heart, to give spiritual life to that stony, unbelieving, dead heart. I want that person to have genuine faith in Jesus Christ and submit to his authority. But as I said, I don't want to give that person assurance of salvation. And that person could be an old person. They've been in church their whole lives, been around Christian their whole lives. They think they're fine, but they're not. Or that person could be a young person. I bet you in this room right now, there are young people in Christian families, in good Christian homes, and they think to themselves, yeah, my parents are in this church. They do all this religious stuff, all this Christian stuff, Bible stuff, whatever. Whatever, I don't care. There are young people in Christian homes. I've seen it over and over again. They go to church. They hear God's voice, but they have hard hearts. They have evil, unbelieving hearts. Hearts. They have no concern for Christ. They don't care about living for the Lord. They don't care about listening to his word. They don't care about spending time with him or praying. And the last thing I want to do is give them assurance of salvation. So we've got the, all these groups of people on this spectrum of faith, right? Belief and unbelief. And you see, this is why it's so difficult for me as a preacher. As I said, I don't really like preaching on these tough passages. I don't like preaching on hard stuff like that. But God has given us these passages, and if we're going to be faithful to the Lord, we need to talk about them. We need to think about them. Now, one question is this. And I've thought about it. Why does God give us these warnings? What are we supposed to do about it? If, if, if I can't give myself spiritual life, why does God give us these warnings? It's a good question. Well, I think, I think this is the answer. God gives us these warnings because he often uses the warnings to bring about spiritual life. There there are many people who have heard warnings like this from the word of God. They've heard God speak these warnings to them personally. And many people have responded by falling on their knees before Jesus Christ. They've fallen on their knees before Christ. They realize they've been offending God. They've been living lives of rebellion in their pride and self-centeredness. That was for me. I realized I had been sinning against God, living a life of wickedness And I didn't even know it, but I realized it. God used those warnings to me. So God uses these passages to bring people to faith. Also, for those of us who are in Christ, these warning passages, I think, are good for us because God will use these passages to challenge us. I'll tell you, I'm grateful when I hear the Holy Spirit saying to me through his word, check your heart, check your heart. Are you in danger of becoming hard-hearted? Are you in danger of being deceived by the deceitfulness of sin? Are you setting your love and affection on other things more than God? When we hear God say, I swore in my wrath that these people with evil, unbelieving hearts will never enter my rest. When we hear the Lord speaking these warnings, if we have real faith, we should say, oh God, don't let me be like that. Don't let my heart become hard toward you. And we can examine ourselves, we can say, you know what? I think I may be coming a a little hard-hearted to God. I, I may not be listening to his voice like I should. I'm not spending time with him like I should. Or I'm treasuring some particular sin in my heart and that needs to change. So when believers hear these warnings from the Lord, true followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be offended, right? We should be grateful. We should be thankful that God gives us these warnings because he gives us these warnings because he cares about us. He didn't have to give us these warnings. He gives us these warnings because he cares about us. He wants us to check our hearts and draw near to him. So in one sense, I don't like preaching on stuff like this with these warnings. But in another sense, I'm so grateful that God has given us these words. So my prayer is, I'm gonna wrap up here. My prayer for everybody in here is that we would just check our hearts. Maybe you realize you have no faith in Christ, and you hear God speaking these warnings to you, my prayer is that you turn to him in faith. Or maybe you're a tender-hearted, faithful person who loves the Lord, but your faith is weak. Your trust in God and his word needs to grow. And through these warnings, your faith will grow. Your love for him will grow. And for all of us, I just pray that we would realize that God, again, that God's motivation for giving us these warnings is a heart of concern, a heart of love. He wants you to rest in Him, that's what this passage is about. We'll talk about it in future weeks. He wants us to rest in Him, entering into God's rest, entering into His rest right now. Just as Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight and twenty nine, "Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest." for your souls. Rest for your souls. That's what Jesus gives. So we can enter into his rest right now. We can enter into his resting and trusting in his promises, resting in his sovereignty, resting in his goodness, resting in his love for us. We can do that right now today. And not only does he offer rest for your souls today, for those of us who are trusting in Christ, he promises He promises that we will enter into eternal heavenly rest in the life to come, in the resurrection life to come. So listen, turn to him in faith today. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you. God, I do admit that sometimes these passages are tough, but I thank you for them. We, your people thank you for your word? Thank you, as we saw that you, when we read your Bible, we are hearing you talk to us, the Holy Spirit talk to, talking to us right now, and I pray that you would give us tender hearts, that we would turn away from sin. And God, for folks who, who honestly, they, they realize they don't have genuine faith, I pray you, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd break into their hearts and give them life. You'd allow them eyes to see just how awesome you are, Jesus, how awesome you are. Please, Lord, work in their hearts, soften their hearts, give them hearts of faith, a living faith. So we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these folks here. I pray for these folks. Bless us, Lord, bless our families. For for family and and kids or ever who are wandering away, we pray even now that you'd bring them back. They'd turn to you in faith and that all of us would just continue living lives devoted to you more and more, concerned about living for you and bringing glory to you. So we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.